Now, taking our Bibles and our, and our, and our uh, bulletins, let's turn to page 10 or 1 Samuel chapter 18 in the life of David. This time we look over several portions of his life. Of course, we've been saying that this, is, this life we have more information about than any other life lived in the ancient world. And we begin to pick up our story in verses 3 and 4 of chapter 18 of 1 Samuel, then over to chapter 19, and then over to chapter 20 as we get a, a sense of the sweeping scope of the nature of the relationship between David and Jonathan. And Jonathan made a covenant with David because he loved him as himself. Jonathan took off the robe he was wearing and gave it to David along with his tunic and even his sword, his bow, and his belt. Jonathan spoke well of David to Saul, his father, and said to him, Let not the king do wrong to his servant David. He has not wronged you, and what he has done has benefited you greatly. He took his life in his hands when he killed the Philistine. The Lord won a great victory for all Israel, and you saw it and were glad. Why then would you do wrong to an innocent man like David by killing him for no reason? Then Jonathan gave his weapons to the boy and said, Go, carry them back to town. After the boy had gone, David got up from the south side of the stone and bowed down before Jonathan three times with his face to the ground. Then they kissed each other and wept together, but David wept the most. Jonathan said to David, Go in peace, for we have sworn friendship with each other in the name of the Lord, saying, The Lord is witness between you and me and between your descendants and my descendants. Then David left, and Jonathan went back to the town. This is God's word. Let us pray. Gracious Father, we thank you for the scriptures. We don't often read them, and sometimes when we read them, we don't take them to heart. We take them for granted. But this morning we thank you once again for the rich testimony that they carry and bring to our hearts. And we ask now as we look into them that you would send your spirit in all his fullness that we might be warmed once again by the truth that we find there, be pointed in the right direction, be built up and edified in our faith, and be brought to a great appreciation of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. Now, we've said as an overarching theme for this study of the life of David is the couplet between him and Jesus Christ. We have said, too, that although we, as we see a lot of information about his life, we find that he often is paired with other individuals, David and Nathan, David and Samuel, David and Goliath, David and Bathsheba, David and Absalom, David and Saul. And last week and this week, we've looked at this wonderful relationship between David and Jonathan, Saul's son. And of course, it, it is the most outstanding and fullest example of, of fellowship and, and friendship that we have in all of the scriptures. If we know anything about David and Jonathan, we know they were friends. They were close. They loved each other. They had a good relationship that lasted over some time and was assaulted 
by many dangers and difficulties. It wasn't just the relationship and friendship of convenience, you know, fishing buddies or uh, people who like to walk together in the mornings and talk. These were people who were thrown together by circumstances. And although they were probably about the same age, they were very different. Jonathan had grown up in the palace, and under the shadow of his father, Saul the king. David had grown up in the countryside, watching the sheep, probably in a rather poor family. Eighth son of eight boys of Jesse. And they were thrown together by circumstances because of David's victories, because of David's renown and acclaim. And we saw last week how Jonathan willingly stepped aside as soon as they met and said, I want my happiness to be bound up in your happiness. You have been victorious, and I celebrate that. And even though your victories probably supplant me as the crown prince, I don't care because I trust that God's good for you will also bring me good. On the surface, it seems as though you are ascendant and I am descendant. I don't care. I'm happy to embrace that and not envy you. I'm happy to give you myself and my sword and be completely vulnerable to you because your happiness is mine. That was a wonderful beginning. Strong, strong beginning to their relationship. And it was based on a, on, on a generous condescension on the part of Jonathan that we saw was like unto the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave up his sword and became vulnerable and was cut himself at the cross for us all. And so David and Jonathan have continued to be an enduring picture of friendship. What can we learn from it today? This morning to the outline in chapters 18 through 20, we, the story you'll remember, although we haven't time to read over it together, is one of Saul becoming murderously envious of David. He doesn't just have a bad day or a passing storm of envy or jealousy. He makes it the consuming fire of his life, and he comes against David on so many occasions. This is a very dangerous time for David. Although he's famous among the people, he's within the reach of the king. And the people can't really protect him from what Saul might do to him. At the same time, this friendship grows up with Jonathan, which contains the evil and makes it bearable, survivable. Friendships do that. They make difficult times easier. Someone to lean on, someone to work with. You will sink without friends. Friendship sustains your life. God uses friendship to, to sustain you. And in this busy world where our friendships often are not that deep as Jonathan and David's were, nevertheless, what level of friendship we have and the people that are close to us help us and sustain us in life. Friendship is related both to health and life expectancy studies show. Why is this so? Why is friendship important to us? What is there about it? It's so intangible. It's so difficult to measure. We know what it is when we experience it, and yet, how, how do we measure it? Well, it goes all the way back to the garden when the Lord said, looking at his creation, 
his first malediction, his first non-benediction was, it is not good. It is not good. Remember he said he created everything and it was good and it was good and it was good. Now the first time he says it was not good. And that was for that man to be alone. Paradise, Eden, wasn't enough without the deep, loving, human relationships. Symbolized, first of all, through Adam and Eve. God designed us to need others besides ourselves. This is part of the great truth of the universe. The Trinity rely upon each other in beautiful and harmonious and perfect relationship throughout all time. And that harmonious relationship implies a certain need of the Father for the Son, the Son for the Father, the Spirit for the others, so that they all work together and are constantly relating to each other. And this relationship in the Trinity is somehow communicated down through the creation. So that in the, in the animal kingdom, the, the animals relate to one another. Sometimes violently, but oftentimes with great peace. And human beings need one another. It was not good for man to be alone. God is relational at his essence. And we see this illustrated in the Trinity. We are made in his image and we need relationships. We know this. Some of us more gregarious and more outgoing, so to speak, than others, but we all know that we deeply need relationships. And some can manage 20, others only two. Regardless, we depend upon them for the, the essence of life. And when we did our series of sermons on marriage, Christian marriage, we said that the essence of that relationship is friendship. Friendship between husband and wife is what sustains them through all of the trials and tribulations of their relationship. So the applications. Relationships are not to be neglected or trampled on. Nothing will be enough without friendship. Do, do not sacrifice friendship for status or achievement. Friendship is important. If you are lonely and you need people, you are like God. Don't hate loneliness. Seek to fill it with meaningful relationships and friendships. As they say, some are more gregarious than others. It's not, that may be a matter of temperament and personality, but we all need to rely upon one another, and we should not be afraid of relationships, although they can be painful. David and Jonathan found in each other an oasis of support and comfort in a very dangerous world. Because just as Saul hated David, he hated any relationship that Jonathan might have with him. And so for Jonathan to sustain a relationship with David was, himself, was to put himself in danger with his father. And his father was increasingly unsteady, unstable, increasingly unpredictable in his violent and stormy ways. And Jonathan stood in the face of that. But what is friendship? Well, I have about two feet of books in my office that deal with relationships and friendships and marriage. And I tried to, I didn't reread them all for this sermon, but I tried to distill that down a little bit and try to bring them together. One of the main things about friendship is the constancy of it. 
First Samuel uh, chapter 18, verse 2. From that day, Saul kept David with him and did not let him return to his father's house. So there was a, this relationship between uh, David and Jonathan that, that carried out over a good bit of time. David wasn't free to, li- to leave. But in the end, when they part, he says, The Lord is witness between you and me and between your descendants and my descendants. Forever. A sense of relationship. And you remember in the instance of Mephibosheth, many years later, when David is now king and has all the power that Saul had, he remembers his promises to David, to Jonathan, excuse me. And he asks, Is there anyone left from Saul's family? And poor crippled Mephibosheth is the only one left. And David brings him to the table. In a marvelous picture, another, another relationship uh, story between David and, a, and another key figure. And, and Mephibosheth comes to the table of the Lord, wondering if he's going to be welcomed or not. And he's fed and he's cared for the rest of his life because of the constancy of the friendship and the promises that were made between David and Jonathan so long ago. One of the key parts of friendship is constancy. A covenantal relationship that is not a means to the end of fulfilling needs. It is an end in itself. Whether my needs are being met or not, it's not a business or a user relationship which is based on my needs. Users aren't friends. We need constancy, and not networks or vendors. A friend wants you to thrive. That's how they began their relationship, and that's how it continued. The constancy of the relationship between Jonathan and David was that you could count on David and Jonathan to always seek the best of the other and not use them. David might have used Jonathan to get to the king, but he kept their relations separate. And throughout the years of its enduring time, There was this constancy. And as we say, there's no friend like an old friend. Someone that we've known for years. Maybe we haven't seen them often, but we've continued to maintain contact. Just this week at the General Assembly, I saw a friend I hadn't seen in 15 years. Then only briefly. But we share so much background and history together, and it was just wonderful to see him and to know that we are still friends. I know his children. He knows mine. I know what he's doing. He knows me where I am. It's wonderful. Constancy is a key aspect of it. And you don't have constancy when you use people. You don't get constancy when you treat people as if they're vending machines that, can, that, that are just there to help you. It's not a business. A business relationship has its place. That's not friendship, though. You don't use people. And David and Jonathan did not use each other. Jonathan might have used David to diminish him in the eyes of others. David wasn't perfect. His incident with Bathsheba was not his only failing. Jonathan had ample opportunity to get information on David as to his whereabouts that would have been helpful in terms of giving it to his father and in terms of making himself look better. And saying, yes, well, he defeated Goliath, but that was some time ago. 
and I'm the crown prince, and I should return to power. But Jonathan is not guilty of such treachery, and friendship is a constant thing. One of the key aspects of it is its faithfulness. And as I said before, I say again, one of, if not the most beautiful thing in this whole world is a promise kept. Faithfulness to commitments. And this Jonathan and David had. I turn and refer to you to the quote on the front of the bulletin this morning, which captures this essence here. The future of the human family rides on, says Lewis Meads. A promise spoken and not forgotten. A man from Galilee talked to his friends about sending this ancient promise in his blood, and a day later he spilled it. On a mound they called Golgotha. I am he who will be there with you, was there with us, dying, then rising, and then being with us to the end of the world. Human destiny rests on a promise freely given and reliably remembered. Whenever you and I make and keep a promise, we are as close to being like God as we can ever be. When you say to someone that you will be there with him or her or them, you are only a millimeter beneath the angels. The faithfulness of God, we sing, great is thy faithfulness. The faithfulness of God is the most significant thing that keeps our relationship with him together. For we are unfaithful. We are feeble in our commitments. We often are, we give in to other temptations and, and we consider him less than most important. But he never considers us less. He never fails nor forsake us, forsakes us. There is constancy in his relationship. He keeps the covenant when we break it. He restores us when we run. He pulls us back when we seek to elude him. The Lord is faithfulness in all his way, is faithful in all his ways and constant. You can count on him any time of day or night to be faithful to you. And when we mirror that constancy, when we are who are made in his image begin to manifest that constancy, we, as Smeed says, are only a millimeter below the angels. We are experiencing life at its fullest. Especially when we see the barriers to constancy. Marital vows kept over the years in spite of so many opportunities not to. Friendship between people that endures over time through all the ups and downs of life. One of the key aspects of who the Lord is to us and who we are to one another in relationship is constancy. Secondly, transparency. Again, back to 1 Samuel 18, when they first meet, they started off on, this, on these terms. It says there that after David had finished talking with Saul, Jonathan became one in spirit with David, and he loved him as himself. Friends, open up to let you in. Users don't do that. They spin. They let you see their deepest feelings. They let you see their see into their common, ordinary life, bringing them into the mundane parts of your life. They let you see into their decisions and let you be a part of it. They let you see into their flaws and their weaknesses. Indeed, 
Transparency is the second key thing to human friendship. Again, based upon what God has done for us, he has told us clearly and plainly. No, we don't see everything about him because he's eternal and vast and immutable and and extensive and perfect in all his ways beyond our understanding. Omnipotent. But he, what he is, he has revealed to us. He has told us the truth. He has led us in. He has said, here is this circle of love, the Father, Son, and Spirit, and we invite you to the party. We ask you to come in. We say, come on into this relationship and enjoy it. No, we don't tell you everything. We don't explain all the ins and outs of our will, but we invite you in. And friendship, secondly, includes transparency. There has to be some honesty, some openness, some just plain, ordinary truth. And then thirdly, sympathy. This, of course, was manifest in large amounts between David and Jonathan. We see it in their parting. We see it throughout their lives. Common passions. You too? You, you share this love for God with me? You share these things too? This is something that cannot be created. It must be discovered. David and Jonathan had a sympathy that was built into who they were. Shared experience and interests also play a part, but friendships that are deep, Share something, some things that are that cannot be manufactured. They're not just common experiences or common backgrounds, but they are a common appreciation. Fun it is to talk to somebody and find out they like the same music you do. Really, that takes it a little lower down, deepens the relationship a little more. They find that you like the same kind of food, the same kind of Whatever. The sympathy for each other is shared. But where do we get this kind of friendship and, and power? Where can we find the power to be a friend like David? Jonathan was a life-transforming friend. He gave up his inheritance. Because Jonathan was a covenantal friend and not a user, he died. Jonathan could have sided with Saul against David or with David against Saul. You see how he's he's a classic case of somebody who's caught in the middle. You've had this experience. You're caught between siblings. You're caught between parents. You're caught between two people that you care about. They're arguing. They don't like each other, and you're caught in the middle. And you're like a ping-pong ball back and forth between them. That That was Jonathan. He went home and his father hated David. He went to be with his friend and David had every reason to fear Saul. It was an awkward, awkward position. But notice, Jonathan could have sided with his father against David. In fact, that might have been the wiser course in the sense that it would have led to more power for him. Or he could have sided with David against Saul. But Jonathan was loyal to both his friend and his father. He wasn't just constant. This man, this young man wasn't just constant to David, his friend. He was constant to Saul, his father. Not just constant to someone he had a lot in common with, 
and a, an affinity toward, the same age and same interests, and loved each other as, as brothers, so to speak. But he also was constant and sympathetic toward his increasingly mania, manic, rather, father. His, the, the, the distortions of Saul's life are well documented. And the remarkable thing is that Jonathan did not reject him. Jonathan didn't reject David. That's one thing. David was a rival, potential rival, but the fact that he doesn't reject his father is quite something else. Remarkable. See what God's grace can bring in our life. We know people who don't deserve our love, who have blown it, we know people whose lives are, are spiraling down. Remember Jonathan. He stayed true to his father. And when he dies, it is at his father's side. He dies so David could become king and be saved. He dies out of faithfulness to his friend and to his father. Who can do this? I mean, maybe what we should just do is say, well, Jonathan was out there and he's in his own category. Nobody can be like this guy. Truly a remarkable guy, but how can I be a friend like Jonathan? Turn with me to John 15. Again, we must say we always must pair in the story of David, we must pair him with Jesus. And in John 15... In probably the upper room, Jesus says, speaking of himself as the vine and we are the branches, verse 15, John 15, I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends. For everything that I learned from my Father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you to go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. Then your Father will give you whatever you ask in my name. This is my command, that you love one another. He took off his robe, his outer garment, and washed their feet. Their lives were as distorted as Saul's, but he stayed with them. He took off his sword and became vulnerable like Jonathan did, and he died for us. If David was set free and, in a sense, saved, at least in his human life, by the friendship of Jonathan, how much more will we be set free by Christ? A friend like no other. How do we become a friend like Jonathan? By getting to know the ultimate friend, Jesus Christ, who was transparent. He opened his arms at Calvary to us and gave, him, gave us the full extent of his love, held nothing back, including separation from his father and rejection by his friends. He was constant in the Garden of Eden. The Father says, either you will lose your friends or get hell, and Jesus chose hell. I'm not going to lose these people. They are mine. And even no matter what happens to me, I will be faithful and constant through it all. 
And then sympathy. We share something with him because we both love the Father. We've come to love the Father through his gracious kindness toward us. So in application, this will turn you into the kind of friend that Jonathan was. His transparency enables you to be transparent. We hide things from each other because we feel that we are not acceptable to them. It's a normal human reaction. Ever since Adam and Eve went into the bushes or clothed themselves with animal skins, we've been hiding ourselves. We haven't felt that transparency was something we could do because of sin and rebellion. But because Jesus accepts us just the way we are, we don't need to worry. If he can see down into the deepest and worst of us, and accept us and forgive us, then we don't need to hide. We, don't, we can be transparent. And we can be honest and open. Friendship is based on such things. Not upon hiding and lying and deception, but upon honesty. No marriage can be sustained if there is deception. No friendship can be endure if there is deceit. It can't happen. It will break down. And there's no need to hide things. There's no need to be anything less than perfectly transparent because he looked into our lives with the eyes that saw to all of our transparency and said, you are mine. I take you. And if that is the pronunciation of God in heaven, who knows and sees all things and is the ultimate judge of the righteous and the unrighteous, and he calls us friends... then why can't we be friends and let people know our faults, particularly those who are close to us? Well, we don't celebrate them. We don't parade them. We don't don't throw them at others. We don't uh, try to put ourselves in the worst possible light. But there's no need to fear. And one of the greatest barriers to friendship is, I'm not going to let you in. I'm not going to tell you my weakness. I don't want you in because you'll see who I really am, and you'll see that I, I'm not what I pretend to be. But when you see that he has come in, and he has seen inside, and he has said, I take you, it frees us to say, If he can accept me, I can risk that my husband, my children, my parents, my friends can accept me too. He will turn you into the kind of friend that you always wanted and you always wanted to be. His friendship makes you the kind of friend you have always longed for if you follow his pattern. And this is the pattern which Jonathan followed. Jonathan is not in every way a type of Christ, but in his vulnerability and and acceptance and stepping aside to David, he is. And in this marvelous exhibition of friendship and relationship, he is a type of Christ who calls us friends. Friendships have to have something in common, though. And uh, the strongest bond is the Lord. In Christ, your friendships will last forever. As David and Jonathan part, 
the Lord witness between you and me and between your descendants and my descendants forever. This friendship is going to continue down through our children and grandchildren, we hope. Constancy and faithfulness. Let his, let, friendship, let his friendship of you make you into a friend of others. The chief enemy of relationship, strong relationship in a marriage and in, among friends is not time or busyness. We all know that these things make it more difficult. But the real enemies of friendship is, is sin, a lack of transparency, a lack of openness, a lack of love and constancy for each other, a lack of sympathy for need. But we have a friend who will make us into better friends if we let him. And it begins with this, with your beginning to understand, and this doesn't come easily, begin to understand that he has seen inside and gone all through your life, and still he seeks you, still he wants you. You have failed him, you will fail him again, he still wants you. There is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. When we get that, we can become set free and better friends to those to whom we're married, to our children, to our regular friends, to our parents. We can become like Jonathan. May it be so. Let us pray. Oh, Lord, we often overlook this famous man, Jonathan, who was such a wonderful friend to David and at the same time faithful to his father. We marvel at how much he gave up, at the extent of his love for David in protecting him and for Saul for dying with him, defending him. And we pray, O Lord Jesus, that since you have called us your friends and have made a relationship and covenant with us and have kept that covenant and shown yourself to be faithful and kept your promises, everyone, that you will teach us how to be better friends with our spouses, our children, our neighbors, all in whom we have relationships. Help them to deepen those relationships in spite of the busy lives we lead. And help us to see that no matter what, neither height nor depth nor anything else in all creation can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen.